What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, guys. Welcome back. EYL. South Beach edition. <laughs> M.I.A. You, you, you can't tell by the backdrop because we was going to do it on the other side, but we're in Miami right now. Yeah, the, um, the, the rain came a little bit. Yeah, so the, the rain is out, but it's still better weather than New York. Yeah, we'll sure. take it any day. Any sure. day, we'll take that. For sure, for sure. <laughs> so, um, you know, we try to do interviews when we're on the road, yeah. and, uh, you know, sometimes we have it planned, sometimes it's just impromptu. So this is an impromptu. Um, we met a superstar in the tech world. And somebody that um, we really thought would, would um, add value to the podcast. Yeah. Um, so, Kwame Anku, um, just a, a brilliant star in the tech world. He was actually I just found out he um, was a start, the co-founder of Black Angel Tech Fund, which mm-hmm. was the first um, tech fund in America that was focused on African American entrepreneurs. Right? That's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. And now he's the CEO of Black Star Fund, which yeah. is a tech fund that. Um, looks for predominantly uh, yeah. ventures where black people are the, are the starters. Top 25 uh, black venture, ca- venture capitalists to watch. Yeah, from PitchBook, that's yeah, right. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. and, and big Stanford, time. Stanford, um, Stanford alone. alumni. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk about that because that's interesting within itself. Thank you. But um, <laughs> So yeah, yeah, and you're currently, your firm is currently invested in nine companies, right? Nine companies, that's right, all over the country. Yeah. yeah. We, we, so, I mean, humbly met you. We were at an event and... We walked over and like, hey guys, I'm a huge fan. I'm like, okay, this is great. And then as we spoke more, I'm like, wait, this guy is a superstar. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, I appreciate it. Well, hey, before we jump into it, I want to say, you know, you got fans all over the world. I was just in Ghana. And I just want to say as, as a fan myself, I'm so proud of you all, of the work you're doing and the impact that you're having on the consciousness, the business consciousness, the mindset of our people, not only in the United States, but all over the world. No, I appreciate that. Um, thank, thank you. you. Thank, yeah, you. thank and, you. And shout out to Ghana, too. We're going to talk about um, Africa a little later, too, um, because I know your roots are from Ghana, Absolutely. right? You're African-American, first-generation African-American. <laughs> yeah, right. um, your family, your, your parents uh, have roots and their family's from Ghana, That's right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. The yeah, year yeah, of return, yeah. we just just passed, yeah. Yeah, we just out there for that. Yeah, happy yeah. to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, so I definitely want to talk about Ghana. But, um, yeah, so first and foremost, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure, my honor. Yeah, so we're gonna jump right into the tech world because um, we haven't really covered tech that much, and a lot of people have been asking us. So the first, sure. I want to start at Stanford because this is something not to graze over. People don't understand how powerful that school is. I think like thirty something billionaires um, in the tech uh, world have graduated from Stanford. Yeah. Something, some, something some guys you might have heard of. Yeah, <laughs> right? a lot of even some. I think one particular professor still is a professor at Stanford, and a lot of guys take his class. Because he's a VC guy too, yeah. and he gives money to um, different. Did Airbnb do that? 
Did they? Somebody, somebody did that. Uh, they had, they had ties to Stanford. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I say that to say, a lot of times people don't fully understand how powerful networking is and yeah. a network. So, mm. coming out of such a prestigious um, cloth as far as going to Stanford as an African American, um, I'm assuming you was in a minority. Uh, how has, how was that experience, and how has that experience helped you um, now that you're in the, the VC world yourself? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So, lots of pieces, lots of parts there. Um, you got to keep in mind that the times are very different. Um, you know, I'm not 60 or 70 years old. <laughs> I'm, I'm 47. So early 90s. Yeah, but the times are different. Meaning the first time I saw the internet, I was a senior in college. Wow. Mm-hmm. Right? So when we talk about networking today and the ability to get connected to people yeah. through these incredible social networks that we have, and it's easy, that was not our reality. That was not our world at the time. So it's much harder to get connected to people. And I'm gonna be fully transparent with you. I did not understand the power and prestige of the Stanford name when I graduated. As a, as a minority student there, mm-hmm. there was a lot of turmoil. And so when we graduated, we weren't thinking about, well, how can we start donating back to Stanford? It was expensive. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, yeah, I mean, a lot of people get lost in that. Like a lot of times the schools have boosters, right? Their alumni are their boosters. Like, where we come from, it's like once we graduate school, it's like, how can we pay back that's, that's the right. loans? That's, that's right. <laughs> Not to the school. That's right. And you don't understand that. Like, and part of the problem, I think, again, it's a mindset, right? I'm, I'm 22. I don't understand at that point in my life that I'm part of the elite country club. Yeah. Because in my mind, even though I was there, even yeah. though I have the diploma, I was not a part of the country club. Yeah, mm-hmm. feel, yeah, right? yeah. I just didn't realize it. Didn't it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like it. Yeah. So, it w- so I didn't realize it and it didn't feel like it. Now, later in my professional life, I'm maturing, I'm understanding the power of networks. I'm understanding what I call success by association. Ooh. Okay, I'm starting to understand those principles. Success by association, yeah. can you explain that? That's interesting, I never heard that before, but I understand what it means, but yeah. can you explain that? I think we've had plenty of arguments about this. Okay, <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't mean that you will be successful simply because I'm Rashad's friend. Mm-hmm. But what it means is that I'm accelerating my ability to get to that place of success and I'm establishing this intense credibility that I might not have on my own, but because I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Right? So when I was a kid, my mom, my mom, even though she, she's half Ghanaian, half British, so she, she has a British accent. So she'd always go, well, you know, Kwame, birds <laughs> of a feather flock together. Right? Shout out to everybody in London. You know what I mean? Like, what does that mean? Right? But then, you know, you get older, you figure it out. That was good. The, the, thank you. <laughs> the cats that you roll with speak to who you are because I, I like what you said because it's like a lot of times how you look and how you word things is extremely important so peer pressure is something that we hear a lot growing up and we always look at it from a negative connotation like but it's positive peer pressure we spoke about that on the podcast before and what you Absolutely. said as far as success by association all the time growing up we had guilty by association yeah that happens all the time right you guilty by association mean like the people that you hang That's out with right. you're going to be guilty just by hanging out with them I never heard anybody say success by association. So it's like, you gotta change the way that we actually use words, the way we look at things. Yeah. And it's like, if we could be guilty by association, we could be successful by association. Yeah, we we always exactly say that, right. language is important. It's true, and the thing is a lot of times it's math, right? I guarantee you, you and your audience already understand principles around you know, the people you hang up. There's a phrase that we hear all the time in money, right? Your net worth is the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm-hmm. Right now, most people have heard that and know that. What I'm saying, I'm just adding those two concepts together. Well, wait a second. Like you said, if we always talk about guilt by association, 
But we also know that your, your net worth is the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Then that means if you're around successful people, you're going to be successful by association. Yeah, pretty good chance. How they think about money, how they think about life, how they live life, the decisions that they make. It becomes a part of your process because you're around them, right? I'll give you an example. I'm reading a book right now called The One Thing by Gary Keller. And it's this whole, we've already talked about time management and, and uh, prioritizing. He makes it really simple. He's like, look, you know every day when you wake up, there's one thing that you need to do that will help you to, be, to get the success faster. Focus on that. That's it. Focus on that. Mm. One, th one thing at a time. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So he said, we got to-do lists. He said, you need to start writing down success lists. What are the successful steps? And sometimes, like in my world, it's as easy as making one phone call. Mm. If you call this one person who you know loves you, supports you, and is extremely successful and extremely well-connected, but you're doing five other things under the pretense, well, I got these other things I got to do, but do this one first. So that at the end of the day, if, even if you haven't finished your, your to-do list, the fact that you made that one call and got an appointment to go see that person is going to start to open up opportunities. Opportunities. Mm. Right? So that's 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 what I live by. You, you said that you were part of the country club, but you didn't feel like it. Yeah. What what was that like? Because this is Cali in the early '90s. How how did you fight fight that that barrier? How did how did I start to feel like I was part of the country club? Or what was well, both. So so yeah. like not feeling like it and being it, and, and then actually becoming aware of it and like how how did that transpire? Yeah. Well, I mean the thing is it's funny man it feels like ancient history but like when we saw all the the the, um, the barrage of those pain painful videos of police brutality right, right um, a couple years ago now, Ferguson, I, I, Ferguson Ferguson and, and the brother in Louisiana and yeah. it was just like this <sighs> day after day after day when I was in school is the first time we had a global viral video of police brutality. Right. Rodney, Rodney King. King. Yeah, I'll never forget, it actually happened on my birthday in like 91. That's right, that's so I was, right. I was like, that crazy, I'll never forget it. And that's what I'm thinking at that time, this is the climate of California at the that's time. That's exactly right, right? So for us, it was this feeling of like, wait a second, this is the stuff that was supposed to be happening in the 60s and the 70s. I personally had experienced these issues with the police being profiled being in a, in a very, I had guns put to my head when I was in LA, when I was in high school, I had gotten attacked by the police. Mm -hmm. They thought I'd stolen stuff. So it really hit home. And we, and basically the feeling was if we're here at this most elite school where we have all this power, mm -hmm. but we could be anywhere and be treated like a Rodney King, something's gotta change, right? But we weren't connected to other campuses because again, we didn't have the technology. So that was a lot of the thing of feeling like, is this really for us? Do they let a couple of us in? Are we really a part of the thing? So at what point do you get into tech then? Because um, I know, so obviously yeah. tech wasn't your main focus going into college since it was just starting out, um, the internet, things of that nature. So at what point do you decide, I want to be, have a venture capital fund and invest money into yeah. tech entrepreneurs? It's funny, a friend of mine always says that the dots don't connect when you look in front of you. So when I look back, I actually got into tech when I was 10 years old. Mm. I, I literally started to learn how to code when I was 10. I went to a computer coding camp when I was in fifth grade. This is like green screen. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? And I, yeah. was, I was fascinated, Star Wars, I was fascinated by technology. And I was fascinated by production and just you know green screen and the whole creating of, of, of um, production through technology. So it was actually in me when I was, when I was a, a younger person. And I believe it or not, the editing software, popular editing software used today, Adobe Premiere, yeah. right? When I was in school, I was part of the beta testing team of Adobe Premiere 1.0. High wow. school? 
uh, of, of college. college. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the idea that you know we can we wow. can edit video using computers. <laughs> yeah. like when I went into college, that didn't exist. By the end, I was testing that stuff. So technology had always been interesting to me. I was working with Prince is how I actually got into the tech world in a serious business way. And he was obviously an extraordinary artist, but as a businessman, he used to say, if you don't own your masters, your masters own you. Mm -hmm. And when we see so many artists today, like Jay-Z and all these incredible artists who own their own stuff, they'll all say it was because they would talk to Prince. Yeah. And he was, he was an evangelist for that, for these younger artists. So he was into tech, he was into ownership. My father grew up in a village in Africa, in Ghana. No running water, no electricity. And came to the States, got scholarships, became a physician, and started buying land back home in Ghana in the 90s. I know you guys do a lot of stuff on real estate. So yeah, you can imagine that, yeah, I'm thinking buying land in Ghana in the 90s, what's going on now in 2020. So my point is, as a child, when I would see my dad at work, it had his name, Vincent Anku, MD, Inc., on the door. Never heard my dad talk about a boss. He was the boss. My mother was the office manager and the business operations person. So at dinner, they were talking business. At all times. When I was 10, I learned how to balance the, the, the corporate checkbook on the computer <laughs> and got paid. So I was on my parents' business payroll doing their- At 10. At 10 years old. At this point, are, do, are they familiar with computers the way you know it? No. A lot of times, kids know more about technology than parents. I'm so grateful they didn't know anything about computers except how important it was. Yeah. And they bought me my first computer when I was nine. How, yeah. how Prince, people talk about Prince a lot, like you said, as far as being one of the greatest musicians of all time, but I'm a huge Nas fan. And um, I remember Nas was on a, another podcast, Rank Champs, and he was talking about when he first met Prince and um, years ago, like in 99, and he asked Prince to, um, to do a record with him. And Prince told him, he was like, um, do you own your masters? And Nas said, no, I don't own my masters. And he was like, when you own your masters, we can have a conversation. Wow. And he was like, that <laughs> really cool. inspired yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. So it was like being around Prince, how, how was he as far as a, a, the business acumen, the business side of things? Extraordinary, man. I remember I had a conversation with him one time in his office, just the two of us. He said, look, let me tell you something. He said, I usually end the show playing Purple Rain. He said, within an hour, I don't care if I'm playing in front of 200 people or if I got sold out at, at, at a stadium. I know how many T-shirts were sold. Hmm. I know how much merchandise was sold. I know how many Coca-Colas were bought. Yeah, we, we spoke about that when we were talking. I think it's like our very first episode, right? When we talked about how innovative he was when he was packaging tickets, merchandise, all these things uh, at the vendings. Um, all package it all together as one thing and how now that's the standard 20 years later like people are just realizing like what he set forth exactly i mean you think about subscriptions now netflix and everything else he created the, the new power generation music club mm -hmm. in the late 90s where you'd pay nine dollars a month or whatever it was and then you get music and you get merch and everything else he created that that's crazy yeah yeah, so before streaming, before it was Apple before Music, before any of that. So my point in terms of the tech stuff is that as a child, when you when you're raised with a parent who not only had a business, but more importantly, came from nothing yeah. and created that. And then I got to work in it on the business side. And then I'm as an adult, I'm working with Prince, who's so adamant about ownership. 
So when we were working with an organization that he and Van Jones founded called Yes We Code, teaching African-American kids in the hood how to code and become technology people. Mm -hmm. I'm now working with Facebook. I'm working with Google. I'm working with the Obama White House, Office of Science and Technology. And then we start to put two and two together. We said, well, wait a second. We went to school with the people who created Google, Yahoo, PayPal, LinkedIn, Palantir, YouTube. We went to school with all these guys. Mm -hmm. They understand, right? Like, like that. Well, let's well, not breeze over there. That's crazy. Right. <laughs> Literally, look. Yeah. There's a cat that's in my class, 1994, who's a co-founder of WhatsApp. Now owned by Facebook. Which was sold for $19 billion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jerry Yang, credit <laughs> Yahoo, was two years ahead of me in college. In Stanford? Yeah. 30 year reunions, yeah. Oh, <laughs> Let, let's see if we can get an invite to that. <laughs> Stanford, Stanford, y'all are honorary brothers. Yeah, yeah, sure. Stanford alumni is crazy. So, yeah. All right, so all right, so 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 you build your relationships working with Prince mm -hmm. and Van Jones, um, and you're on the tech side. So, at what point do you just say, okay, I want to start my own venture capital firm with other people? I think this is a good idea to do that. Yeah. So basically, we were having a, 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 a black alumni reunion. Mm -hmm. And it was a summit. It was in 2015, and we were in Atlanta. And I was on a panel. The numbers had come out around how in Silicon Valley, less than 1% of the tech employees at these massive big tech companies is African-American. The, the less than 1% of venture capital going to African-Americans. So I was on a panel, and there was a conversation about that. And you know, you got some of the most successful black people in the country all sitting in that room. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of anger. But then that turned to, well, what do we do? So we, we, we need to put pressure on Google. We need to get them to hire more black people. I was like, hey, wait a second. If we went to school with the people who created all this stuff, they had two very simple things. They had an idea, and they had a little bit of angel investment money. Hmm. $200,000, $300,000, $500,000. And then they were up and running. We need to be focusing on doing that for our black tech entrepreneurs. Yeah. So I didn't even say, hey, we need a fund. I just kind of put that out there. And literally a group of us got together. And by the next day, it was like the light bulbs were going off. And we said, hey, why don't we pool money together and create a fund so that we can start to do these investments in these tech entrepreneurs? So that's literally. That's how it started. That's literally how it started. And it was Atlanta in 2015. Wow. Yeah. Dope. Dope. Yeah, we, we, we spoke about angel investing with uh, John Henry um, a, few, a few months ago. And he was talking about how it started. Yeah. Now. And he's a phenomenal, phenomenal um, young man. How, how many how many people are with you when you start? Yeah, so when we initially started with Black Angel Tech Fund, it was five of us. And we literally, you know, we did, we raised a couple million dollars. We did five deals. In my fund now, Black Star Fund, I'm still in three of those deals. Okay. Right? So there's a longevity there in terms of relationships with those founders. Um, but yeah, it was, it's really, and it wasn't people who had investing experience. That's mm -hmm. one thing I think I love about your show is that this is, this is not for people who already know all this stuff. It's for people who want to understand how it works. Right. If you look at someone like Arlen Hamilton, Arlen Hamilton does not come out of institutional investing. She doesn't have an economics who's, who's degree. Who's that? Arlen Hamilton, the founder of Backstage Capital. Okay. So she, African-American woman, she has invested in over 100 companies of diverse founders and women. Mm. She raised $4 million dollars Four or five years ago, she was living out of her car. Hmm. Wow. She was in the music industry and promotions. 
and she got to Silicon Valley. And again, it's math. She's looking around going, there's billions of dollars here. Where are the black people? <laughs> there's a disconnect. We should do something about that. Right. And she got people to believe in her and her vision. Well, what if we were getting this money, same thing we did with Black Angel Tech Fund, yeah. into the folks, I love what she says, we talked about underrepresented minorities. She calls, she calls us underestimated, right? It's not, uh, it's not underrepresented, right? It's, it's underestimated. So my point is, is that people like Arlen Hamilton, she doesn't come out of investing. Black Angel Tech Fund, none of the founders came out of investing. But we, we wanted to respond to a need and an opportunity. Yeah. It wasn't simply that the numbers were skewed so that black people were not getting the cash. It was like, wait a second, from a business standpoint, that's an incredible opportunity. If Silicon Valley is not paying attention to our genius, yeah. and we can get in early, we can support our genius, and we can profit from our genius being successful. Yeah, you, I think you gave a great analogy. You said you're like an A&R, like in music, just mm -hmm. in tech, right? You go out, you look for the talent, you say, that's it. Like, that's something that we're good at, right? We know good music when we hear it, and you know good ideas when you see them, right? Can you that's talk about right. that a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's like, so when people say, you know, well, Kwame, what, what's your secret as an investor? I right. say, I'm like an old school A&R person in the music industry. And for the young heads, that, that means artists and repertoire. That's when the cats who would go to the club, they go to the church, they go to the-, the, the, the um, Street corner. Yeah, <laughs> and they would hear the sound. Now, could a lot of us sing really well? Absolutely. Could a lot of us play? Absolutely. But there's something called what? The it factor. So when you think about um, back in the day with Motown, you got Diana Ross, Smokey Robinson, yeah. the Jackson Five, Stevie Wonder. Temptations. Right? Okay, they were all phenomenal singers. But they all had the it factor. There's something special about certain people that you just know that they were born to, to be leaders. Now, I say that all the time is that um, we live in a world now, like I have a son, and everybody gets um, awards if you participate. Um, and everybody's like, it's made to feel everybody's equal. Now you're singing my song now. Every, <laughs> everybody's not equal. There's some people that's that's made to excel others, and that's okay because some people like LeBron James might not be the best piano player, right? That's but right. as far as basketball, he he's he was built to excel. He still had to put the work in, but you could have worked just as hard as LeBron. You're not going to be gonna LeBron. Be LeBron. No way. And it's the same thing with um, business people. It's like even on the podcast, like we've had people on the podcast before, and we'd be like he he's special or she's special. Yep. Just has an it factor, yep. right? And it's like. You don't. You can't really put your finger on it. Yeah. You know it, but you know it. The people know it. They <laughs> resonate to it, and they just, they just have it. And the person sitting here knows it too. Like when they walk in and we talk, as soon as like we have conversation after they leave, it's like, he was, he's special. She's special. You can feel it. That's the thing. So then now let's look at it in the context. Of, well, wait a second. If what we're all saying is true, how is it that you have less than one percent of the venture capital going to African Americans? Right. That's why I was saying that there's the opportunity. Of, one of the greatest things I ever learned from one of my mentors, he said a small mind focuses on the problem, big mind focuses on the solution. A genius mind sees the opportunity that lies in the problem, right? So that's, Powerful. that's how I function. So wait, wait, less than 1%. We know our genius. We know our talent when we see it. Yep. So you're telling me, I'll give you an example, Mary Spiel, who's actually in town. She's got a virtual reality company mm -hmm. and she's doing virtual reality content for the halftime show at the Super Bowl. So she has a company called Seek VR. Yep. Okay, so let me just give you the background. Here's an African woman, born in New York, raised in Ghana, dual degree, master's degree in, from Georgia Tech in electrical engineering oh, and computer science. Big time. Seven year veteran in the United States Air Force, 
head of satellite communications. Oh, and by the way, she invented the digital cinema system for Boeing, which bounces the movie signal off the satellite to the movie theater. Big time. <laughs> okay. So you meet this woman who's got a VR company, and you find out that she got a deal with Universal Music, and she beat out Oculus to get that deal. Okay. Does that sound, you see what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you see what I mean? That's, that's Diana Ross yeah. in the tech world. Exactly, that's exactly. in the tech world, yes. right? That's who you invest in, not just the money, the time, the relationships, the business coaching. So we've got that level of talent, and my belief, whether it's, it's John Henry and Harlem Capital, Plexo Capital, Precursor, uh, Arlen with Backstage Capital, Black Star Fund, mm -hmm. that we are all going to be turning the industry on its head in the next three to five years because we knew where the talent was that nobody else was paying attention to. And we invested early. And when, as those companies grow and have significant exits, yeah. everybody's going to come and look at us as geniuses. Look, we weren't geniuses. We paid attention to the people you were not paying attention to. We invested in the people you were overlooking. The same dudes you gave nothing. I made something doing hey, what I do. There you go. That's yeah. it. That's there you it. have it. So, all right. In the next, in the next segment, we're going to go through the process as far as, um, I know you said it's a three-part process, and um, like your day-to-day -day and then some mindset um, opportunities that you, that you coach um, people on as well. So, yeah, we're going to go into that next. All right, so you told us off camera that there's really three phases of, of your VC as far as what you do yeah. um, with Black Star Fund is, um, you know, you raise money, you find, find founders, you, you, you raise money, you, you find founders, and um, you help them be successful. So the interesting thing for me is that you raise money before you find the founders. So the founders are the people that you're giving money to or you're investing money with. Yeah. But you're raising money before you actually have the people in play. And then you're not only just giving them money, but you're coaching them because I always look at it like it's like talent, right? We can't, we're, we're, we're I like to talk in sports and entertainment metaphors a lot because we understand that. Mm -hmm. We as a culture, but world culture, we understand that, right? That's right. So it's like me, I, I used to play sports. So you see, it's called a dominant or rough. Like you see somebody like they might be a phenomenal player, basketball mm -hmm. player, but they're not polished. That's right. They mm -hmm. need work. They need a coach. They need a trainer. They need somebody. But they already have potential. They have raw potential. Mm -hmm. But they're gonna get demolished if they just go to the league. They have to. Right. They have. To, they gotta <laughs> practice, right? They gotta. They gotta refine. Same thing with business. Somebody could be the most talented entrepreneur, and be the most eloquent speaker, and powerful networker, and just have a presence. But that still might not make them ready for the yeah. big league. That's right. As, as you're saying yeah. that, the first thing that came to our minds as we talk entertainment was when Puff found Big. It was like this gritty dude off the corner becomes this guy who now wears Versace and he's an icon because of it. He found the dirt, he shined it up, and now he's an icon forever. Yeah, right. I mean, that happens with, there's, there's a bunch of people that just, yeah. you know, everybody needs some level of coaching. Whether it's, like Nas said, um, large professor told him not to pop his peas in the poof. Like, <laughs> you, you, you don't think about that, yeah. but it's like, you, little stuff like that, it's like you, you, you actually have talent, but you still need to be refined. That's so right. can you talk about that as far as, um, the process, your process, um, being a CEO of a, of a VC fund and actually working with the entrepreneurs, not just like 100 miles away, just do your own thing. Here's the money, go ahead. Yeah, so let me say this first of all. Um, there's a debate actually within our investment community where people, even within African-American investors, around spending a lot of time with the entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And some people's philosophy is, look, if we decided to make a deal with you, we're giving you the capital and you figure it out. We'll make some phone calls for you but we're not here to hold your hand through the process. Um, the way that VC normally works, the, the philosophy is you invest in 10 companies, seven of them will fail, two of them will do okay, 
and one of them will be a unicorn and make everybody all the money. So what they do is they wait to see who pulls ahead. And then the, 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 the bottom seven, they kind of abandon most of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could we afford to do that with African-American tech founders? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely you, 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 not. See, so what, what, what are we talking about here? Nah. Right? That just make, makes no sense. Nah. So 1%. Yeah, we can't do that. 10% if you're talking about 10 companies. Exactly. Yeah. So when you talk about, you know, we're looking for the creme de la creme de la creme, the, t- the top of the top of the top. And so a lot of times, you know, even how we got connected, you got had one of our companies on EYL, yeah. right? The win-win company. Shout, Shout out to the win-win, right? Mike, Mike Brown. Brown. H-Town's on. Okay. I mean, phenomenal guy, true. Talented tech developer, true. He was a two-time All-American at Duke with a full ride and made it to the NFL. The work ethic <laughs> yeah. of an individual like that, you put that person in tech and business, you're, you're dealing with a, a, a force you can't even imagine. You see what I mean? So that, but everybody has, Rashad, to your point, everybody has areas that they need help with. Some of it might be to be polished and refined in business. But what I find, and I think the most value that I bring, and this is something I think that could help all of your listeners, is that I say, the wider and deeper your relationships are, the easier your life is. And it translates to business. The wider and deeper your relationships are, the easier your business is. So when I invest in a company and I can leverage my relationships to help them grow, it makes a huge difference. We invested, I'll give you an example. We invested in a company. One of my investors made one phone call. That company was able to get their product into the top grocery store in Northern California. Mm -hmm. Just from the resources that you have. You see what I mean? Wasn't heavy lifting, but because I had that relationship and I could leverage that relationship for my founder that I invested in, she was able to have a breakthrough in the California market. You see what I mean? So it's not just the coaching, like we're helping you with mindset and we'll get into some of that hopefully too, Uh, but it's how can I act as almost your VP of business development? Mm. How can I get you in rooms and how can I connect you with people to help you to grow your business? And then sometimes, you know, we do what I call CEO coaching. That's the behind closed doors, tough conversations where we got to look in the mirror. We got to do an assessment. Where are your blocks? How are you getting in your own way? Mm-hmm. What story are you telling yourself that's not serving you or your company? You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So what, what are some CEO coaching um, that you do or that, you know, because like I said, a lot of time people, you start a business, there's no roadmap to be successful. Um, and coaching is extremely important, right? Mm-hmm. Like even LeBron reportedly spends a million dollars on his body um, where he has like massage therapists and trainers and things of that nature. And it's like business, this is important too, is business podcast is that top level business people spend money on coaches. That's right. Because they want to improve, whether it's a variety of different things that they can improve on, become more efficient, um, things of that nature. So as far as like CEO coaching, what does that, what does that look like in your from your standpoint? That's a great, great question. So there's not a, for me, there's not a cookie cutter formula. It's like you gotta assess the person in front of you. Where are their strengths? Where are their weaknesses? And you hear me use this word, where are their blocks? And a block is a, is a mental idea that you have in your head that's preventing you from moving forward. And oftentimes it's subconscious. So how do you find out where those blocks are? It's, it's based on output. I'm looking at what the entrepreneur is doing and I'm looking at the output. And in certain areas, I'm not seeing good results. Mm-hmm. And then I'm asking them, well, what is it that you want? They go, Kwame, I want this. I said, okay, well, I'm looking at six months of activity. I'm not seeing a lot of the thing that you say that you want. 
So we have to go into why is that? Now, some of it is because they haven't designed a plan to be able to get there well. Yeah. But a lot of times there's a block. And it's almost like, be, honestly, it's almost like being a psychologist where you got to go in and start to figure out what is preventing you from doing what you need to do. And then, you, and, you know, I'm 47. So I've, I've seen a lot. I've had some great successes. I've had some painful failures. Yeah, that, that's exactly where I was going because I'm thinking like this sounds very well organized, very well planned. In order to coach sometimes, you had to have made some mistakes that you know that play doesn't work. That's the thing. So, so what, what are some of the, the mistakes that you've made along the way? So I, I'll give you an example. I see this a lot actually. When you're building a team as a leader, there's a mistake that people make where they, 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 they build a team based on people who look up to them and who want to follow them. Mm -hmm. And part of it is the ego thing, right? So I'm, I'm the CEO and the founder. Um, you're working for me. Uh, maybe you haven't had this level of success that I've had, and you just want to be down. I'm bringing you on. Mm -hmm. Same thing. So what these guys do, a lot of times, they'll build a team of people who are kind of not at their level and look up to them and kind of idolize them. Huge mistake. I made that mistake. When you're in business, you want to build a team, and I, I tell people this all the time. When you look around the table, your management team, you should be in awe of the people in your team. You should literally be in awe of them. Like, how did I, how did how I, get, did this? I get this guy <laughs> yeah, how on the team? How is it possible that you're sitting at the table actually building this company? See, that's a mindset shift. Yeah. Again, sometimes it's ego. Sometimes people don't know better. The problem with the first way is that that team is always looking for you to make all the decisions. And, they, and they're not really solving problems. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you need people who are better than you to do the things that you need to do to build your business. Steve Jobs was a genius at that. And you probably have seen that meme. He said, you know, we hire people who are smarter than us to tell us what to do, right? Not, yeah. not the other way around. Right. So that, that's a problem that I see. Um, if you want to get in the nitty gritty in terms of cash flow management, um, one, of the folks, one, of the, one of the things I think our, our, our folks have a challenge with is that when money comes in, they, they'll operate the business kind of how they operated on their life, okay? Without having a budget, without having strict controls of that money. And so what I do with entrepreneurs is say, look, we have to have the budget set at the X amount. I go over that with them on some of the companies I'm on the board, so it's a little easier because I can do board approvals of the budget. Mm -hmm. But we make sure that the cash is accounted for every week. If something comes up and we need to make a shift, we need to have a board decision to make a shift in the expenditures. But we've got spreadsheets to see where everything is. I see so many companies that have raised $500,000, a million dollars. Ten months later, money's gone. And the, and the company is gone. Was it because their burn rate was so high? No, because they didn't have good financial systems in place. Or they were saying, well, we don't need a CFO. We can't afford a CFO. Well, you don't need to hire a CFO. You need to have a fractional CFO, somebody that you can hire 10 hours a month that mm. will help to make sure all the financial things are in place. A fractional CFO? Yeah, so this is a new thing. This would be helpful for your listeners. Yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah, we call it fractional C-suite. So we, you know, we're, we're starting off. We can't hire necessarily a chief marketing officer, a CMO, a mm. chief financial officer, a CFO. We don't have to. There's now people who have positioned themselves to be fractional C-level managers. I'll give you 10 hours a month to be your chief marketing officer, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're just getting started. Yeah. And so that, that's, a, that's a great business for people to be in because they can work for five, six, seven companies and get paid from those companies doing fractional work. Yeah, in a it's, week. It's great, it's great, right? And yeah. it's great for the, for the company because you're getting high-level professional services, but you're not paying out the nose to be able to get that. Yeah, it's like a um, consultant um, or MVP, most viable product, what we say a lot on the podcast. That's it's like exactly you have to work right. with the resources that's available to you. Mm -hmm. So you might not have 
$150,000 to pay somebody full time, but you might have 20,000 that you can break. And like you said, it's kind of a win-win because it's like you're still getting some level of help and that person might get 20,000 from 10 different people. Now that's 200,000. That's right. As opposed to just the 150 that they were going to get, but they got to focus all of their time just on one company. That's right. Absolutely. And there's one other thing I want to say quickly about some of the coaching is lifestyle. Um, one of our companies we've invested in, a great friend of mine, um, Dawn Dixon, and she has a company called Popcom, and it's an incredible you know, AI, interactive vending machine software system that she's created. And you know, she always talks about, especially to younger entrepreneurs in the early 20s, this idea that you're grinding you know, 90, 100 hours a week, and that somehow we romanticize that that's how you're supposed to be successful. That is a way to have an imbalanced life and that is a way to burn out. And so I really work with my founders in terms of their life balance. Me personally, I don't work on Sundays. I will not work on Sundays. I only started doing that in 2019. You see what I mean? So I don't want to see my founders, like as an investor, I don't want to hear, oh, yeah, Kwame, man, we grinding out, man. We put in a 100-hour week. I had three nights with no sleep. I don't want to hear that. Mm. I want to know... Like Mike Brown, I'll just throw his stuff out. I'll, talk, I'll call Mike and say, hey, can we do a meeting? He's like, I'm taking my son to Taekwondo. I don't say, well, can you step outside? <laughs> right? Because I've taken my son when he was five to Taekwondo. Right? And it's so important that as a founder, as an investor with a founder, I'm expecting you to work hard. I'm not expecting you to burn yourself out. And I'm not expecting you to have your, your life out of balance because I care about you as a human being, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. But second is painfully inefficient. It's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. I need you to be here for the long haul, and I need you to bring to the, be to the best of your abilities the best of you. And then also, to play devil's advocate, um, I think there's different systems for different people. Because mm -hmm. like, we talk about sports. There's the Belichick way, right? Patriots way, but it's really Belichick's way. And he's a much different coach than Phil Jackson. He, he's a much different coach than Andy Reid, right? Where Belichick... It's no, it's no alternative. He's about to, he's trying to get rid of Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. He don't care. This is my way. And people say they hate playing for the Patriots. Everybody that's played for the Patriots say they, that's not on the Patriots anymore said they hated it, but they win. They win, right? It's like sometimes the win, and it's it's hard for people to fully understand that too because it's like it's 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 kind of dicey. I think business is like sports where it's like sometimes you you go that extra mile and every everybody everybody's not balanced. So let me, let me expound on that because believe it or not, um, I agree with you 100%. And I'm glad you said that because I need to qualify what I said because it goes to your point about it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. I want to see it be in seasons, okay? There's a season to go in the overdrive and then there's a season to pull back. Even the Bible says there's a time and place for everything. Mm -hmm. So what I'm not saying as a startup founder, you should comfortably just do 40 hours a week, <laughs> clock out at 5 o'clock on Friday, I've, I've don't got, think about work all weekend. I've right? got it's yoga like, tonight. No, 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 right? But it is idea that, like, I'm not, do, I'm not a good founder of a startup if I'm not working 90 hours a week, never take a break, always grinding, always reading. That mindset, see, that's different than the athlete that is doing, waking up at 4 in the morning every day. It's, even that athlete still takes their family on vacation. You see what I mean? Even that athlete reads books instead of playing, mm -hmm. right? So there's grind season, there's recovery season. There's we're gonna pull out all the stops 
and then there's, we're gonna reflect. Steve Jobs, one of the most innovative entrepreneurs on the planet Earth. Um, uh, Bill Gates, to my understanding, I just saw a documentary on him, he still does it. They read for over an hour a day. Now, how in the world could you be Bill Gates with net worth of 30 plus billion dollars with all the global responsibilities he has? Mm -hmm. And he reads an hour a day. Steve Jobs would walk for an hour a day, not take phone calls. Now, you ask Steve Jobs, rest his soul, why do you do that? He said, because that's where I can think and that's where I come up with ideas. Yeah. You, so, I mean? you, gotta, you have to allocate this time. Absolutely. Or you definitely will burn out. Now, like, Shai's coming from the business world, education. Well, I see it all the time. Like, I have teachers that are 30 and 40, and they're like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. Well, I'm like, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'm like, well, then you're going to be doing this, <laughs> right? Like, it's like most teachers think that they're going to work till the retirement age, 55, 57 for some. And they're like, all right, it's great. But I'm like, you're 30 now. You're 27 years away. What are you going to do if you burnt out now? And it's like they haven't allocated the time or the resources to look at anything else. That's so powerful. Yeah. So as far as um, raising money, mm -hmm. right, what's the process as far as that is concerned um, for you personally, like you guys now? Do you tap into your network um, that you've built up over the years? Is it an alumni association? Is it just random people that you come in contact with? Do you have email marketing? Like, how do you? Yeah, are we call the Stanford alum. How do, right, you, right, right, how, right. do you, how do you raise money for your for these businesses that you're giving money to? Yeah, so there's there's two sides of it. Um, let's talk about on the fun side, and then also talk about how I help some of the companies to raise money themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. On the fun side, it goes back to what I said: the wider and deeper the relationships you have are the easier your life is, the easier your business is. And remember I said success by association. So let's say I've got a good relationship with somebody's business guy, knows me, trusts me, likes me, admires my work. I talk to him, he says, call me, I'm in, I wanna invest. I don't just say, hey, thank you so much for that, I really appreciate it, and then try to find other people. Then we sit down, who else in your network do you think would be interested in this, right? So now when we go and meet with that person, these are people he's done deals with. These are people she's done deals with. So they know them, they like them, they trust them. And a lot of times they've made money together. Mm. So now it's not just, well, hey, here's this guy you don't know. Do you want to do this? It's, hey man, I just got on this deal. You got to see this. You got to meet this guy. I'm in. And I want to bring you in with me. So, so much of the, the deal is done Referrals. before the meeting. Yeah. Simply because again, it's success by association. So that's really my strategy on, on the fundraise. And the cool thing about that, too, is that you meet extraordinary people doing amazing things. Like, I'm in town to help my two companies. Those events were Thursday and, and, and tomorrow. I planned my trip to leave on Tuesday. Why? Because I knew I was going to be meeting people. Mm -hmm. you and, never I got, know. and I got some business partners down here that I said, I'm coming for a week. I said, Kwame, we'll get you some meetings so we can help you to raise the money down here. You see what I mean? Yeah. And you never know what could happen. Exactly. Like, yeah, I, that's what I was just saying earlier. Like, somebody was asking me, like, you left, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving Miami be, until I'm supposed to leave because I, already, I know it's in New York. I, I'm in New York all year. I might just randomly walk outside and yeah. meet a random person that could change my life. Like, you know what I mean? And I think people don't fully understand that either. It's like, it's important to travel. And it's important, and like we just met you two days ago. Right. <laughs> Who knows where this relationship can go? But a lot of times we just so can find, the average person only leaves for like two weeks a year, and their day-to-day wow. -day is exactly yeah. the same. Because that's wow. what they And that's now. why I said like even yeah. you should take a different route to work, because it's like you kind of just get programmed to wake up, walk your dog, take your kid to school, pick your kid up from school, and then like you're, you're only interacting with 10 people 
every day that's right for your whole entire year yeah. how are you going to change yeah. your life of course your life is going to be the same you're only talking to 10 people that's right that's, yeah, that, right that's that's the allocation part it was like most people who work in corporate worlds they'll tell you you got two weeks of vacation for the year so choose it wisely you know what i'm saying so it's like it's it's tough because it's like we're trying to figure out this is how much time we have and oh i gotta put it with my my friends and my family because this is the only time i have it's like if you get sick good luck you know what I mean? It's, it's true, but I think that this goes back to the shift in mindset, right? If we're working a J-O-B and we only have two weeks allocated for vacation, that's kind of what the rules are. Right. But the reality is we also got 52 weekends, right? And if you make a decision every other month, I'm going somewhere, does that mean that you got to spend two grand to go out of the country or go to Mexico? Not necessarily. But if you live in New York, you got a friend in D.C., you mm-hmm. take that train down to D.C. and you stay with them, and it's exactly what you're saying. You're in. You're at a different party. You're at someone else's house for dinner, mm-hmm. and it's natural thing. So, so what is it that you do? All right. And then you have a conversation. Where'd you go to school? And then once you start making those common links, hey, do you know so and so? No, man, I got to introduce you to a friend of mine. Right. That's we got to be in that mindset totally. How do you put yourself in places and spaces where you're meeting new people, having new conversations, and then having new realities for your life? You know what's crazy too is like we're so programmed. And it's like they start. People start looking at you crazy. Like when you start traveling a lot, you start doing things. They start looking at you crazy. Like why are you traveling so much? <laughs> yeah. Yo, why are you, you not traveling to, enough? Yo, slow down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Right. Yeah. Like they literally, people. And then it's like, even for you guys. Yeah. yeah like, not I'm, for me, but it's I, like even I like for sure. relationships with people. Yeah. Like you know, you never know. It's like, why are you traveling again? Or oh, you're traveling again? Or yeah. and people, it's like, yeah. Why not? Yeah. Travel all year if we if I can. Like, you know what I'm I, I, I'll get why there. Not? Like. Hey, you gotta slow down. You need to slow down, man. You're moving around too much. And I'm like, nah, man, we're, we're trying to change the world here. Like what I'm doing in education, like mm. I don't go to work tomorrow in school. Somebody eventually will be the new teacher there. But like nobody's doing what we're doing. So I, I, gotta, allocate, I gotta allocate time for this because this is super important, you know what I mean? It's so, it's so true, man. But that goes back to what we talked about success by association, right? Is that there's a painful reality. And I learned this, I, I'll be honest with you, man. I remember being in Baltimore I was a tough time in my life, and I was in uh, I was in a motel, and I had a audio recording of one of uh, Tony Robbins's programs, and he said, "Write down the most. Write down how you would um, describe success in business, in health, in relationships." And basically do one to five of where you are. And then you do the average of that. I was like at 1.2. Of everything. <laughs> of everything. <laughs> wow. Right? And one of the things that he was talking about, and this isn't just, you know, we say, like we said earlier, that your net worth is the average of the five people that you spend most time with. But the deeper level of that concept is your net consciousness is the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Okay. So what that means is, the, the, one of my favorite rappers is Chuck D. Uh, Public Enemy. Right, from Public Enemy. And Chuck D said, if, if I can't change the people around me, I change the people around me. Mm. Okay? If I'm in a situation where I can't change the people around me, I change the people around me. And when you hear things, no diss on any of your friends and people that love you, but when you hear things like, you need to slow down, you're traveling too much, and you're not hearing the chorus that's telling you, man, I'm so proud of you, man. There you go. Do it, man. Every yeah. time I see a picture of you somewhere else, I get excited for you. What's the next thing you're doing? You're doing great now, but what's the next level you're trying to go to? Mm-hmm. If you don't have that chorus around you, 
it's time to shift the team. It's time to shift the team. I learned this early in my career, man. Remember one of my mentors said, Kwame, the team that gets you from A to B is not the same team that's gonna get you from B to C or C to D or D to E. And you, as a leader, you have to be prepared. Doesn't mean there's not some people gonna go all the way with you. But for the most part, mm -hmm. the, the whole team's not coming. Everybody, everybody, everybody not gonna make it. Right? No, the fact. Everybody not gonna make it. Right? It's just not gonna happen. Yeah. And it's okay. Right? We we only laughing because we say that all the time. Everybody's not gonna make it. Right. You just explained it so so clearly, man. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I see. Thank I hit a nerve. That is a that is a that's a mantra that we uh, kind of kind of live by. <laughs> Can, can I get some of the royalties on the t-shirts? <laughs> Everybody ain't coming. <laughs> A to B only. A to B only. That's gonna be the shirt. A to B only. A to B only. <laughs> Bus stops here. Right. You getting off? You getting off? <laughs> no transfers. You getting off at Terminal D? No transfers. <laughs> getting off here. So, so from your perspective, as far as mindset, mm. is mindset more more important than um, the information that people receive, or, or does it go hand in hand to make the information useful for people? Yeah, it's hard to quantify, but just to make the point, I mean, in my life experience, I always say in life, love, and business, I would say 90% is mindset and 10% is info. Because if you don't have the right mindset, then you don't know how to digest the info. And you know, when we were kids, remember our parents used to say, man, it's in one ear. I tell you the same thing over and over. It's in one ear and out the other. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're getting the info, you're not retaining it, you're not, you're not digesting it, you're not processing it, and most importantly, you're not using it for the transformation. So the mindset, uh, you know, great Wayne Dyer said, when you change the way you see things, the things that you see change. Hmm. That had a profound impact on my life. So when you change the way you see things, the things that you see change, that is mindset. If I can think about this in a different way, then I can have a different result. Mm -hmm. There's another reason why you got to have different people around you, because if you fall in the trap of say, commiserating, oh man, things are really tough right now, and you get a bunch of people that are supporting that song, you go deeper down that hole. You have some people who say, man, stop complaining. Okay, that, is that really helpful? What you really need is people who say, let me help you to see this thing differently. What you think is a problem could be an incredible opportunity. And because your mindset changes, then you look at the thing differently, you deal with the thing differently, and then you get different results. Yeah, I remember um, to end it on that note. I was years ago. I was working at this at this play, at this company, and um, this guy he was like one of the top people, big time producer, and um, he was in the bathroom, and uh, another person came in the bathroom and started complaining about like the the manager, and um, was saying like, yeah, you know, I don't really like. It. He's like, nope, stop. I can't process any negative information. <laughs> can't process it. He stopped him like after two. Like, nope, <laughs> not doing that. No, it's not. It's not. It's not going to be beneficial, and it's only going to be negative, yeah. and it's going to lower my frequency, and I, I can't. I can't do it. And when it was so profound, because he didn't give an apology. He didn't. He just and for him to be at that level, it just let me know, like you know, everything that you put in your, your brain is important. And it's a lot of times we put so much negativity in our brain without even fully understanding what we're doing. And then we're wondering why we're not getting the positive results. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I think I did a social media post recently, and I was saying, you know, in, in order to kind of have a new reality, you have to have a new song in your head, right? What's the story you're telling yourself? What's the song that you're singing? I mean, I've literally lost friendships and relationships 
saying similar things where people I was hearing a lot of gossip. I'm, I can't hear that right now. Nope. As a matter of no, fact, I can't ever hear it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's powerful. So, all right, in the last segment, we're going to close it out. We're going to go to Mother Africa. Going home. Oh, yeah, we go, the we go. year of the return. The year of the return, for sure. Awesome. All right, so in the last segment, we're going to close it out, and we're going to go international. And this is something that I really I really like, enjoying having these conversations, because I always said, like, the vision of we can never limit ourselves. Amen. can never limit ourselves um, as far as, like, geographically or culturally or anything like the world is our oyster i think it's important for people to understand that and that's something that we really pride ourselves on as far as earn your leisure is not just in america yeah. we're in you know we're blessed to be in some of the top charts all over the world absolutely um and one continent specifically that we have reached the top charts in a lot of countries yeah. is africa um so Incredible. shout out to everybody, everybody in africa every um, all countries all over all countries in africa um we definitely have to come to Africa soon. Amen. I'd love to be your uh, host. Probably. Yeah, looking forward to that. A lot of people have been hitting us up, asking to come to Africa. And um, as I said, you're African-American. Uh, you have roots in Ghana. That's where your family is from. That's yeah. right. And um, I know you go back there pretty regularly, right? I do, yeah. I'm there usually two or three times a year. Yeah, it was it was a big event this this uh, December. It was uh, the year of return in Africa. Yeah. In Ghana specifically. Mm -hmm. And uh, you were holding a tech summit. You were speaking there, right? I was, yeah. I was, I'm the U.S. ambassador for the Ghana Tech Summit. Uh, the co-founders Einstein and Christine and Tim mm -hmm. have created this incredible vision of uh, tech summits all over the continent. And this was the second annual Ghana Tech Summit that happened just last month. So can we talk about, all right, can we talk about that as far as what's going on in Africa right now? And I think it's important to have these conversations because it's like for us being African-American and then from the continent, people that's of African descent on the continent, it's only a body of water that separates us. But a lot of times it's, it seems like it's much further, but it's really not. We're not that separated. Yeah. Um, so it's important. I want to bridge this gap for people in America and for people in Africa. Um, what's going on in Ghana specifically as far as the, the, the tech boom that's happening there and the entrepreneur? And what did you see when, when you go out there and, and, you know, being out there, giving a TED Talk and things of that nature? Sure. So I'm, I'm so excited to have a chance to share uh, and really make an, an open invitation. Um, but, but piggybacking off of Troy, what you said is that 2019 was the year of return. And it was the president of Ghana who said, look, this is, it's the 400 year mark of the first African, Africans who were brought to the United States or to North America as slaves. And so we're going to put our flag in the ground and say, hey, we're marking this and we want you to come home. That's what he said. Mm -hmm. Come make cultural connection. Come learn how to invest. Come to reconnect with, with the motherland. Post that, now that we're going in 2020, it's now called the year of the birthright. And we're taking it even further and saying the decade of the birthright. Mm. That means that you, as descendants of Mother Africa, there's your birthright is there waiting for you. Mm -hmm. So you gotta come back and connect with it and build. What's happening in Ghana? First of all, it's the fastest growing economy on the continent of Africa, okay? So on any given year, it's doing six to 8% growth, billions dollars are coming from all over the world building infrastructure building gorgeous buildings and hotels our family businesses building affordable housing units in neighborhoods um, you know there's so much in any sector it could be gold it could be technology it could be textiles it could be uh, 5g anything mm -hmm. it's all at the early stages for people to get in and to build 
and it's 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 a beautiful country. And now, granted, I'm biased because my family is from there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I found is the year returned because we had thousands of African Americans coming, that their minds were blown. But more importantly, what I knew was going to happen, and I watched it happen. There's a feeling when you get your feet back on that soil that you didn't know that you had the capacity to feel. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, just thinking visually, like every time, especially when we were growing up, there was just one image of what people thought Africa was, right? It was like, donate a dollar to a child, right? Or it was like you were in a safari, and like when we saw the images coming back, especially like on social media, and I think that's the beauty of it, it was just like, wait, why are we not there? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm sure that right. when people got there, like you saw that firsthand, right? I, I did, and but it was literal, man. I mean, there was people, I, I had so many friends that literally, um, canceled their return flights to stay another week mm. or indefinitely. It's major. I watched people who have full-time jobs writing emails and proposals to their bosses with ideas of how they could be working in Africa for three months out of the year. I watched it happen. So in the feeling, I was there with my buddy too, Shaka Sangor, uh, incredible um, author, New York Times bestseller, one-man show all over the world, amazing friend of mine. And we did a film with him. So he came back to, for the first time and we, we shot a docu-film of him being over there. And he said something really deep. He said, when I, when I, he said, well, the feeling I thought I was gonna have when I got back is that I'm home. And he said, to be honest with you, I didn't actually feel that. He said, what I felt was that I belonged here. Mm. And I think that is a thing for African-Americans when they go, it's the sense that you belong there. You don't have to move, but you, the, the, that feeling, the reality is most black Americans have never felt that their whole life. Very true. So that, I think that's, so massive opportunities in every sector. I'm obviously on the tech space, um, but whatever you're into, you will find a place, you will find the feeling of belonging, and you're gonna wanna be doing business and building this next civilization in, in Africa. So what is the opportunities as far as for foreigners? Because I've heard Akon say, like, anybody that's doing business in America, you got to come to Africa and do business and not guarantee, like, your business to, like, boom. Like, you'll, you'll be way more successful doing anything, whether it's doing insurance, whether it's real estate, whether it's writing, whatever, doing in Africa. He said that before. So what are the opportunities and, and how welcoming um, is it for foreigners, specifically Amer Americans um, that may be in business to come to Africa, because obviously you don't know the, the, the dynamics of it. You gotta like partner up and, and meet people out there. Yeah, so two parts of that. Um, there, I always tell people there, there's, the, there's the what, the why, and the how. So the what is, are there opportunities? The answer is absolutely yes. But then we get into the why is easy. I wanna reconnect with Africa and, and be part of creating the change that we wanna see. The how is about who do you know? Who do you know over there? that can help you to be able to navigate through. It's difficult to do business in Ghana, and quite frankly on the continent, when you don't know people because you don't have access and you don't know how to navigate through there. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's the same here. I mean, if, if I, you know, I've never been to New York and I'm trying to do business in New York, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. a whole lot of people, well-connected, business, finance, city hall, I'm gonna get some stuff done quickly. Yeah. So it's really important to connect with people. And, and Troy, when you mentioned about seeing the social media, mm -hmm. if you have friends that you saw over there with social media, I guarantee you they were making relationships and friendships over there. You need to get in touch with them and say, hey, I'm interested in doing business. Who do you know over there? Now, you know, I'll, I'll do a little bit of promotion. 
because I want people to be connected to me as well. But then we can help to get you connected to folks that can help you based on the things that you're interested in. Oh, your company does that? So I work with folks. I've got partners over there. Okay. Yeah. So we, you know, we've got a consulting company too. Okay. So we help people that are interested in doing business in Africa, specifically in Ghana. You bridge that gap. Absolutely. What's the name of the company? Yeah. So my partner over there, it's Black Band. Black Band? Yeah. Terry Opong. Uh, he's the CEO and founder of Black Band. What, what are some industries that they definitely need, like right away, that's opportunities for entrepreneurs? Oh, well, you'll be happy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the real estate, and obviously our family is in the real estate business, but the real estate opportunities in Ghana are extraordinary. Hmm. It's just extraordinary. You got a need right now for a million people for affordable housing. That's a, a city. Million That's an entire city. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So development, yeah. real estate yeah. development. Real estate development is is huge. Um, but I, I'll be honest with you, the thing is so wide that it's what are you what are you passionate about? People are interested in fashion. The textile industry, fashion, explosive. The other area we need to really start thinking about is the cocoa industry. Cocoa? Ghana produces 3% of the global supply, excuse me, uh, 70% of the global supply of cocoa. But we're only participating in 3% of the supply chain benefit of that. 70%. 70%. And between Ghana and Ivory Coast, it's 90% of the entire planet's cocoa comes from those two places. But we're participating in a minuscule part of the profit because we're not processing it there. Correctly. We're just, cr we're just growing the cocoa. We're, we're beans, it's sending it to. And shipping it out. There's no infrastructure to properly. Okay. okay. It's, like the, it's like diamonds in South Africa, and then they send it to Israel to actually get cut and all of that. Yeah. That's, that's exactly It's like right. when we spoke about, spoke about uh, Aliko Dangote, when he, was, when he changed his country's export to import policy, right? Like they were putting out so much oil, he built the infrastructure, so now they're able to export it to countries and make money. It completely changes the, the income for the entire country. Yeah, Nigeria is one of the, they have one of the largest oil reserves in the world, yeah. but they don't um, produce a lot of oil. Now they're starting to change that, but because the refineries just wasn't up to code and they couldn't actually produce it well, efficiently. Well, well and efficiently, that's, yeah. that's exactly right. So yeah, so look, whether it's oil, whether it's solar, um, agriculture, real estate, tech, which is my world, um, our developers over there, our coders over there. Um, there's so many incredible opportunities. So when you think about the United States, the people who really made money back in the day building the railroads and mm -hmm. everything else, those families and the oil families, you, we can be those families in Ghana right now in 2020. And um, media opportunities. Are there media opportunities <laughs> in Ghana? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you don't say. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, media infrastructures. And I think that's one of the things that trips people out, man, when they get to Ghana and they flip on the television. And everything, it's, it's like everything here. Your sports center, your news, it, but it's us that's hosting, that's producing, that's running those stations and those networks. I think it's exciting for content creators. No, I think content creators, and it's, it's, I see it firsthand as far as my earning your leisure is because like, I see it's a need for what we do in different parts of the world. Like People can't wait for us to come to Toronto, Canada. Same thing with London, England, Absolutely. Africa. And yeah. it's like... We're highlighting entrepreneurs and we're explaining different business ventures in a way that people can understand it. And it's just like music, right? Like you might be a huge Jay-Z fan, um, but you're from London and he's from Brooklyn. It's, this, it's a little different as far as the dialect, the things that he's rapping about is not the same, but you generally, you, you got a love for the music. Yes. And I feel like the, the, the podcast is the same thing. Like people, it might not be specific as far as the stuff that we're talking about. Cause a lot of the stuff is just is geared towards America. Been working on getting more international content, but 
they they just they're encouraged yeah. by us by our delivery and um so our goal with earn your leisure is to is to take this all over the world and to have um summits platforms podcast shows in different country and highlight entrepreneurs don't we're not going to do the christopher columbus thing and just come with people from america <laughs> and shove our way of thinking on, on other countries we want to actually invite yeah, people. the people that's doing their thing in their countries and and break it down because a lot of times people business owners aren't they don't have a platform and the people don't have a way to get the information from those people yeah. so it's a disconnect even so, here even here like yeah there's, there's people doing amazing things like you said uh the, the woman you spoke about earlier who is the oprah winfrey in the tech space that was unfamiliar to us you know what i'm saying That's there's right. no platform for her to be ex not exploited but displayed her greatness yeah you know what i mean so like i think it's so important that what we're doing here and to do it internationally would be even more incredible well i'll tell you I, I was really moved by what you both just said and i'm going to make a commitment to you one of the reasons why a lot of people want to be on your show is because you give them a platform and you give them exposure yeah i want to be able to make a commitment to you all and to help on the international scene I've got great friends and great relationships with entrepreneurs in Toronto, in London, and in Ghana. Okay. So I'm going to help you. Breaking news alert. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> I'm going to help you to put those events together in Toronto, in London, but in Ghana, I'm going to host you guys. Oh, there you have it. Oh, man. I'm, I'm hosting you and our family. We're going to host you and bring you all out. So that you can experience the country the way it was supposed to be experienced. Oh my, earners! And we'll get you connected, and then. But your job is to just do what you do. Wow. That's it. We're gonna do it big in Africa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you better <laughs> you believe thought that. Atlanta was big. <laughs> <laughs> Coming. Earners yeah, worldwide. <laughs> earners worldwide for real. Oh man, nah, Kwame, I appreciate you. Um, and like I said, this is all it's all about relationships, and it's like we just met two days. You ago. were actually, um, you know, an advocate for the podcast before we met you which is really dope because you're on a whole different coast. And it's all, you know, a couple of degrees of separation. You know, we interviewed Mike Brown, which you're invested in his company. That's right. And um, we met you at his event and uh, you spoke and you kicked it off. And then shout out to Mike Brown also, because yeah. even when you spoke, we still didn't tie the dots on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, yo, y'all should have Kwame on the podcast. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, shout out to Mike for actually but, quarterbacking and, that situation. And on top of that, one of your students. Can yeah. you tell that story really oh, quickly? Oh, it's crazy, crazy. So <laughs> I, I have uh, a couple of mentees. I'm on, on the board of a university called North Central University in Minneapolis. Yeah. And a couple of students, young couple, um, they're my mentees. So I was in town having dinner with them and they had invested in Mike's company. So I'm having dinner with them and I say, oh man, I'm so excited. You guys invested in win-win and which, which one of my social media posts <laughs> influenced you to make the decision? And they call me Uncle Kwame. Yeah. Right? Like, well, Uncle Kwame, what, what do you mean? I was like, didn't you invest because of me working with them? You work with them? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how'd you find out about win-win? And he, Michael, uh, it's a couple of Michael and Grace. They just got engaged. Congrats. Michael brings out his phone and shows me the screenshot that a friend of his had sent him of the EYL episode. <laughs> and all she said was, you need to invest in this right now. <laughs> That's and crazy. That. We watched the episode. We love those guys. And we invested. So I'm very grateful to you all. <laughs> yeah, <that is> <laughs> <laughs> For the impact that you have. When you told us the story, I was just like... Whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, your reach is incredible. That's probably what I was saying with Toronto, man. Literally, I had a friend of mine I was talking to and to recommend podcasts. And she's like, the number one. 
was EYL. She's from Toronto? Yeah. Oh, yeah, shout out to Toronto. That was yeah, the first one. <laughs> yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with those guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shout Even more so now. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Toronto, Amen. man. Amen. Thank you guys. Um, you but yeah, nah, so how can the people um, contact you or information on, on your, your business, um, different business ventures and uh, yeah, any information that you want to give the public? Sure, man. Very, very easy. First thing on the business side, get connected with me on LinkedIn. So it's just Kwame, K-W-A-M-E, last name, A-N-K-U, Anku. Definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. That's the best flat platform for business networking, in my opinion. Um, uh, Instagram, you know, we'll post this. My, my link will be there. And, and then the website is blackstar.fund, blackstar.fund. And what about the, what's the company um, that you connect people with in Africa? Yeah, Black Band. Dot co black, black band. Band. co terry apong phenomenal phenomenal uh, business leader and entrepreneur uh over there on the ground making stuff happen i uh, appreciate that troy housekeeping yeah, items man. shout out to everybody on patreon.com y'all know that is our proud to pay program it has grown over the months man we are so happy that everybody's come along the ride with us as you as you know we have switched it up a little bit giving you more content so be on the lookout for that and i want to just give a quick shout out to havana uh we got jessica and justin our new members man y'all are tier four or tier five members so you obviously know you have access to earn your legion university that is our online school where we have webinars three times a week, uh, real estate on Monday. We have a guest webinar every Wednesday and shouting myself, we always do a business related one on Thursdays. And EYL Espanol is out there, so be on the lookout and uh, thank you for supporting. Everybody's supporting the merch on earnyourleisure.com. New merch is on the way. All our earners, be, be, be sure to, to, to cop the new merch. It's specifically made for you by us. So thank you for your support. Yeah, everybody's been asking about the tracksuit, so ah. by the time this episode comes out, hopefully the tracksuit <laughs> will be on the there. website. <laughs> Uh, EYL University, yes, make sure you um, you stay in tune with that. Um, and the book tip of this week, uh, recommended by our guest, The One Thing. The One Thing, correct? That's it. Yes. So, um, yes, thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. 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 You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.